What's up, everybody, and welcome to episode eight of the Batteries Fully Charged Cast. My name is Brent, and I'm joined today by my co-hosts, Matt Corser. What up? Joseph Soltis. What up, fam? And Frank Esslinger. Hi, everybody. <laughs> how you guys all doing? It's been a long time. We haven't uh, gathered as as a family. How how are you guys all doing? Doing pretty well. What have it's you been, been a while. To? Yeah, yeah, I know. What have you guys been up to? I know we all went our separate ways for p- short periods of time. Life happened, as it tends to do. Anybody have anything exciting? Frank, anything I'll ta- exciting? <laughs> I'll take that as a resounding no. <laughs> so we're all really boring, everybody. Well, thanks for listening to the Batteries Fully Charged Cats, episode eight. Uh, no, anyway, um, I know we all had some exciting things. Uh, Matt, you've uh, you've you've been tackling the whole X-wing thing still, uh, taking over stores and becoming grandmaster of space. Trying to. Work? Okay. So so uh, so t- tell me more. I went to Canada last weekend for Canadian Nationals with me and four other people. Yeah, there was okay. five of us. Yeah, we went, it was in Toronto at the uh, Yorkdale Holiday Inn. Uh, nice hotel, uh, expensive breakfast. But no, yeah, it was a good time. That's uh, so. This was like a national championship that you went to, like I mean Canadian national, so it's like three quarters of a real ch- national championship. But, but, yeah, but like it's, it's America's Hats championship, yes. Yeah, that's why three quarters, you know. Yeah. But so like this was all of the top players from Canada for X Wing gathered at this event. Yeah, everybody who can afford the thirty dollars to go. Yeah. <laughs> Oof. That's Steve. Yeah, they probably had to collect a lot of cans for that. Yeah, um, <laughs> that's still really cool. How did you, oh, 300 cans. <laughs> how did how did you do? I came in 24th out of 116, so I did pretty top, well. Top quarter. That's that's <laughs> resounding applause from the uh, studio audience here. Yeah, that was that, that's still pretty legit. Like, did, did what do you get for that? I guess would be my next question. Uh, so everybody got a alt art card. Um, a Howl Runner Alt Art card, and then okay. if you made top thirty-two, you got a second Howl Runner Alt Art card. So I got two, dang Howl Runner Alt Art cards. Which Howl Runner is a Tie Fighter pilot. She's she's pretty dope. I like her. I fly imps mostly, so that's what I really wanted to get going in there. So now I have two of them. So I would call that a resounding win. Yeah. Uh, like what? So let's say theoretically you win this. What's what's the what's the grand prize? Is this like a cash pot, or do you then get uh, a grand invitation to the world championships when next it rolls around? So you get a fancy trophy saying that you're okay. the Canadian national champion. <laughs> you get you get some fancy templates. I think if you got top four or top eight, you got templates. And like as okay. as you go up, like your prizes go farther up. Like my buddy made top sixteen. He made day two, so he got some nice alt art cards, some acrylic alt art cards. But as you go up, like I think you, I think dice were part of the prize. And if you win, you get a worlds buy. So round one at worlds next year, you pretty much get a hundred and fifty MOV points to start okay. off with. 
Okay, well, I mean that that's that's a pretty significant prize, I'd say. The ability to uh, look, immediately get a buy in the beginning of Worlds, since I know that's you know the Super Bowl of of X Wing. So that's pretty legit. That's cool though. I've I've never uh, been to an event that's well. I mean, I, I for those of you who don't know, we're very going to Canada is not an incredibly difficult journey for some of us, but uh, no, that's still well. that's that's still really cool. Like the ability to cross the borders, as it were, and uh, participate in a huge championship like that. Um. <clears throat> so, Joe, what uh, what 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 have you been up to? Anything interesting? What's what what's your life? What's your life like? Tell me about your life. Uh, I mean, when it comes to like media consumption and all that stuff, like I already kind of talked about this on our last cast, but I did get to the Switch. Uh, been playing Pokemon Tournament, and then um, yeah, just been just living the life of just watching some Netflix stuff. Like um, again, I guess the most recent uh, series I watched was like American Vandal, which I thought was pretty hilarious. And that it's was. Right pretty good i would love to talk about that at some point i i also watched that and it was fantastic i mean i thought it was just a good play on like the you know the big rise in true crime stuff and i think um you know that's really i don't know i thought it was pretty creative for what it was and honestly when the first like the first episode like i actually thought it was somewhat maybe real or maybe like a real documentary of some sort so i actually just looked it up just to make sure it was fake but yeah it's just I mean, it's done. It's done really well for being like a comedy, for sure. Yeah, they they really played on Netflix's other big murder mystery thing, which was that uh, making a murderer. Yeah. Uh, short series that they had there, you could really see the parallels as they were kind of going through it. Um, yeah. And also, that was, the that rise was... of like serial too. I think they kind of oh, yeah. that too. Absolutely. No, that that was that was really well done, and I I absolutely would like to get into that at a later like a little bit deeper at some point but no that's really cool i know welcome to the switch world yep. uh, it, it's a it's a post switch world where you can play real video games wherever you are i know it's i mean <laughs> i actually did take that um the whole challenge up where i actually brought my switch to starbucks and just played and poking tournament on their wi-fi and it actually worked great i was very surprised and uh you know, it makes me want, like, you can actually play a Switch outside and play games. And if you have a hot spot on your phone, you could always do that, too. So it, I think it's pretty sweet. It really blows my mind how I, normally I'm very, I'm very much a PlayStation guy. I, that's, I, that's written all over. But I, there have been serious debates in my head with some games about, am I going to go Switch or am I going to go PlayStation with this? And it's... Switch is winning out more than I thought it would, so it's interesting. I mean, what games uh, are you thinking of for that? Because I actually haven't noticed that as much yet. Well, I just mean, like, uh, things coming up. It's mostly in the indie space is where I've noticed it. Uh, you know, there's going to be Stardew Valley, which I realize is coming out. came out on PlayStation first, and then it's coming out on Switch later. But if that's a day-and-date release between the PlayStation and the Switch... That is 1,000% a Switch game for me. Okay. Uh, Severed just came out on the Switch. I bought that. I've been having a blast with it. It's a fantastic game to take with me on the go. And the and the touch mechanics on it are legit. So, yeah. Sure. Uh, I, I'm interested to see how much of uh, how much of my attention that takes away from the PlayStation in the future. Especially, especially with indies. That's, to me, going to be an indie go-to. 
Yeah, for sure. And uh, uh, Frank, what uh, I, I know you you and Joe have more recently been doing the podcast, but uh, anything interesting coming from the Frank camp lately? Um, been playing the Switch still. I still sure. play Elite Dangerous quite a bit. They just had a uh, big patch, 2.4, that's added in um, this big buildup they've had towards these aliens. Um, and it's it's neat. They're actually like terrifying and sort of unbeatable right now. So all you can really do is run. Um, there's a mystery around like what they want. Right now, the big player thing that a lot of players are noticing is that uh, they seem to be like taking in either... Um, escape pods with living or dead people they don't seem to care uh if you leave them alone if you enter their space they usually just as long as you don't get too close to them they just let you be but if you if you attack them or get too close they'll kill you real fast yeah now cool. i i i i had read the story recently how they for the most for the longest time had just kind of sat there and observed but lately have actually been fighting and, and blowing well, they, people up they weren't really in the game before there was some scripted events you could trigger if you did the right things where you'd see one kind of scan you and fly away but just actually pretty terrifying the first time i did it but uh um they weren't a presence so they weren't interactable you couldn't like go to them or anything like that but it's okay. it's uh elite actually has a pretty long-running like lore and history it's been the games have been around since the 80s um but okay. uh, this is this is building on that. Yeah, so. that that that's a game that I, I wish I could dedicate the time and the like energy to get into that because it just seems so interesting how much is going on in in, in that universe. Like the stories that come out of it to me almost mirror Eve in a way. Like just the meta that's created by the people that are playing it. It's it's super interesting. And then when something like that happens with these weird aliens that come out of nowhere and now they're doing something that – or first first they were barely in the – well, they weren't in the game and they were barely in the game and now they're actually interacting with players in interesting ways. It's like it actually feels like a living, breathing world where if you have the time to dedicate, just can really get into it. That's, that's super interesting. I, I'm interested to see what they do with that. Yeah, it's it's a really cool experience. And then past that, I've been, I still play Battlefield a fair amount. I finally beat Shadow of Mordor. Pretty excited about Shadow of War. Man, wasn't that like the best ending boss fight that you've ever played? It was. I mean, I I watched you do it, and even then, I was like, man, I'm glad I didn't pay much for this. Wait, wait, like, which one? Shadow of Mordor has a really clumsy final boss. It's, it's literally just quick time events, and it's. It's like the whole idea with that game is like the Nemesis system anyway, so it's not like terribly crushing. Okay. Uh, but it's just, it just felt like pointless. You basically kill a Sauron ghost with the A button, on oh, I me mean the X button, and that's about it. And wow. it's just, it's really clumsy. It was uh, But the sequel looks really good and like it's really fleshing out everything that was good about the first one. And I'm pretty excited about it. Uh, how then, excited uh, are you for loot boxes? Are you going to buy the loot boxes? We already talked about this on a previous podcast. Oh, did you? Podcast. Okay. Yeah. I, I, I won't get into it then, but that, 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 that's my two cents. That's lame. I don't, but I, don't, I don't care about loot boxes. If you don't want them, don't get them. It's a single-player game. I'll survive. Yeah. 
And I know I, I've not been doing a ton. I finally upgraded to a PlayStation 4 Pro. Uh, utilizing that 4K TV I bought two years ago and have not watched a single thing in 4K. Uh, it's it's not a night and day difference, but there's definitely games. Like I, I plunked in uh, Rise of the Tomb Raider. And man, does it look good in 4K. Like it, it is a noticeable difference. I'm actually more surprised than I thought I would be. I've been playing that, uh, messing, uh, playing a lot of Destiny 2. Destiny 2 is, I, it, it, I mean, it's more Destiny, that, which is not going to surprise anybody here. Um, it just, it gives you things at a more steady rate so you don't feel like you're, I remember in Destiny 1, I would spend, a whole week doing the raid, walk out with nothing. Like, no no power level increases, nothing. And now with this one, every time I sit down and play, I feel like I accomplish something. So it's... They've definitely improved the loop in that game when it comes to rewarding you for actually doing things, which in a game that is built upon bringing me back to feel rewarded by doing things that's an obvious an obvious uh thing to do but no i, I i've definitely been enjoying destiny um like i say i've been playing the switch a little bit otherwise it's been just kind of messing around with the playstation 4 pro and seeing what games it makes better and how it makes it better it's, it's pretty cool i like it but yeah, let's. Uh, I wanted to move on to our main topic here. We're gonna kind of go over. All of us have. All of us are movie fans. I mean, we've talked about this at length over the course of the few episodes we've done now. Um, we kind of wanted to get into some of a, a couple films from each of us. Something that is a large, like mainstream movie, and then an, like more of an arty movie, and and highlight something that each of us think is really important to us. It just, you know, film is really interesting and getting an idea of where each of us comes from, I I, I think would help paint a really good picture for what it is we look for in movies and and what we enjoy. So I just wanted to, I kind of wanted to go over some of these. And I know, Frank, I think I would call you our resident movie guy. I would say so. Okay. I, I mean, yeah, I'm not trying to paint I, you into fair. a corner. I just, of, of all of us, I feel like no, that's fair. you're the most well-versed in movies. So why don't you go ahead and, uh, why don't you go ahead and just drop your, uh, your, your, your two movies that you chose for this. Okay. Drop so them. with, um, with, with film, a lot of, the, uh, we've talked about it before, but we've been critical of a lot of summer type movies and things like that. Sure. And, um, they've, uh, we kind of seem like we're just nitpicking, but it's not like we dislike every single, um, summer movie that comes out. It, there's a lot that, that come out that are redeemable in their own way. It's just, they just need to be a little bit smarter. And so to start to go forward, the idea behind this, a little exercise was to make maybe you understand as a listener where we're coming from instead of just, oh gosh, I just hate everything. So to start for my mainstream movie, I picked um, Godzilla, the 2014 movie with Brian Cranston and um, those other people. Um, 
and uh, high praise, high praise. Brent, I got this. Thank you. No, it's okay. Uh, um, uh, lost my train of thought. The movie was shot pretty well, considering it was the kind of summer movie. Um, it had a kind of a neat way of filming the monsters up until the finale. Like these are really large creatures, and they're very imposing and scary. And almost every shot in the film up until the end um, is shot in a way where a human being could have conceivably had a camera. Uh, like uh, there's a scene about partway through the movie when we finally get to see Godzilla. Um, and all the shots are done as if it was somebody either on a rooftop at street level or um, either like a helicopter flying by or something like that. So it's done in a way that feels natural. It's not, it's not found footage, um, but it's, it's more um, like a just a believable way of shooting. And then at the end of the movie, it goes full Godzilla movie, and it's you know full wide shots of the monsters fighting in classic Godzilla fashion. Um, the The film got a lot of flack because people complained that oh, there's too much human stuff and not enough Godzilla. But what was really awesome about Godzilla 2014, as a fan of pretty much every Godzilla film, good and bad, is it actually it actually really was like those films. Godzilla is only in those films about an average of 10 to 15 minutes, and that's about what it was in this one, too. A lot of people forget that, but, I mean, there's cheesy ones where, yeah, it's Godzilla the whole time, but those those are different. The ones that tell a good story, like the original Godzilla or Gojira, those ones, uh, Godzilla's in maybe 10 minutes. It's really more about, like, what's going on uh, with this, I kind of wish this movie had not copped out and added monsters for Godzilla to fight, and just had it be about Godzilla, because that's more engaging. But I suppose that is what we think of when we think of Godzilla nowadays. Um, but um, yeah, I think that's about it with that one. It's a pretty immersive film. There's some really cool money shots. I like to say. I thought they did a good job reimagining the character, and Toho Japan actually likes this Godzilla and acknowledges it, unlike uh, the crappy Matthew Broderick 1998 whoa. film where whoa. where they uh, they they acknowledge that that monster exists, but it doesn't even get God in the title. It's just called Zilla because it's a weak ass thing. Um, but yeah, so for my more smart movie. It's a real obvious choice, but it did have a profound effect on how I appreciate movies. I feel like it's important to talk about is Citizen Kane. Uh, it's a classic film. The story itself, by today's standards, has kind of been done before. I, well, by it, I guess. But uh, it, it told a really good story of Charles Foster Kane from childhood to death. Um, but it used... The story isn't really what impresses me with it. It's the way it was shot. And without that movie, I don't think films would be made the way they are now. Um, Citizen Kane pretty much introduced the world to depth of field shots. So, like, you have something in focus in front and something soft in the back. And then you shift to the thing in the back and the thing in front gets soft focus. Um, it's used right on in the beginning of the film. It has really clever lighting. It does some pretty spectacular scene transitions that are still kind of amazing when you consider they made it when they made it back in the 30s. Um, it's it's a it's an incredibly impressive film, um, even with its kind of awkward twist. And uh, you know, how did anyone hear him say his final words when no one was in the room? But that's you know, 
not the point. Um, it, it really is a spectacular film. There's a, a film towards the middle where a reporter is interviewing one of uh, Kane's former lovers, and the camera starts off above the building, above the restaurant, and it's raining, and it, the camera goes through the skylight, which, yeah, you can see the flaws with it today, but that was incredible storytelling technique back then. Um, a lot of things we take for granted now. This movie, they had to work their ass off to get it to work. Um, it's it's very impressive, and it still holds up. If you haven't seen it, you owe it to yourself. Don't worry about the story. The, 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 the plot twist is not really that interesting, but the way the story is told is, is fantastic, and I... It, it really did change everything. Movies went from being basically stage plays to uh, actual film as we know it. And it became a true art form at that point. It was very much a wake-up call. That's all about all I have to say about my movies, but I hope I set the uh, groundwork for you guys to talk about yours. Yeah, absolutely. That's I, I've always wanted to... That's one of those movies that... Like you say, it's 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 a very old movie, and I don't usually get into that, but I, I just feel like I should see it just because, like you say, it sets the framework for everything that movies that I've seen my entire life, you know. But, no, that's that's really cool. Um, that's a couple yeah, go, of really go solid watch choices. Yeah, I'll go watch that right now. Uh, while I'm watching that, Joe, if you want to go over your uh, two movies. So the two films that I picked were uh, Return of the Living Dead and Inception. Um, so, like, I guess you could say I didn't pick, like, a, maybe a traditional art film as much or, like, one that's, like, a little bit as indie, but Return of the Living Dead has always been, like, a movie that I've always kind of go back to. Like, it's a movie I can watch anytime I want, and, you know, it kind of made me realize that there were certain things in that film that kind of make it, like, actually entertaining, and I would say that one thing that uh, really kind of sticks out to me is that like the way that shot um it's shot in like a kind of a grainy way it's, it looks like it's low budget because it kind of was back in the day of like it was made in like in 1984 um it's kind of a spoof of uh night of the living dead which is also a great film and i would recommend anyone to watch that if you're into horror films um so it kind of makes fun of that a little bit but it does it in like in a way that's actually fun and entertaining so like the premise of the film is where like nerve gas gets shot up in the sky it rains on the graveyard uh, you know, zombies come from the ground and pretty much uh, go wreak havoc against teens and also the army surplus store and all kinds of fun stuff like that goes on. Um, so it's, I don't know, it's a fun and zany film. Um, it's, I've always found it entertaining. Anybody I've ever showed it to, like, they always are skeptical when you see the box art. It just shows, like, a hand going up from the grave. looks very corny. But at the end of the day, it's always been uh, very enjoyable for other people to watch. Um, it's one that... Um, kind of nails it. It kind of does some jokes that are a little bit more crass in some ways. Um, like you could say that, um, you know, there's some very quotable things in there. Like, uh, for example, when the kids go into, um, into like a into the building, they're like, "Oh, you kids on PCP," and so I always <laughs> thought that was hilarious for some reason. I'm not sure why, but it's just like it has some memorable lines like that, or it's like um, talking about how. You know, do you ever fantasize being dead or just like weird stuff like that? Just because like it was kind of hopping on that trend of horror films where like Halloween was coming out and a few other um, top line films were coming too. So it's just like a way to do comedy, but also be trendy at the same time. Honestly, I don't know how well the film grossed back then, but 
I can definitely tell you, like amongst my friends and also just to myself, it's definitely been like a cult cult classic for myself. Um, and then I guess I'll just go straight into Inception. Um, so that's like one of the more blockbuster films I would say that I'm kind of into. I think it does a very good well with storytelling. That's what I really like about it. Um, you know, it has multiple levels when it comes to, you know, making it like a thriller film without actually having like true action in it, you could say. Because really, if you think about they're always in a room just dreaming or being in people's dreams. And so everything is really not, it's not actually real. Um, so I always thought that was interesting, but obviously, you know, in a dream, it, it's done in a real way, but, and I just think that has like multiple levels to it. Um, being able to, you know, manipulate people through dreams and kind of like something that you could think about, um, having like, and also having to have totems to figure out if you're in a dream or not, if you're into that kind of stuff. Um, I don't know. I just think it does a very good job of uh, telling a story and, you know, bring it to a level where you didn't, you don't always see that in film where, you know, kind of like, like if you talk to the normal person that actually did see Inception, you would say that a lot of them say they were confused or it was in a, a different level for them. But at the same time, I think those are the type of risks that make that film great. Um, and honestly, it, it did really well. In the box office, um, and obviously it's probably part because of the cast, like yeah, Leonardo DiCaprio, uh, Joseph Gordon-Levitt, you know, and then um, wasn't I think Ellen Page was in it, correct? Was I am I wrong? Yep. Yeah. Okay. Yep. Just want to make sure I'm right. Um, but yeah, and I just think it did well with this all the action scenes in it, and you know, this is very choreographed correctly, in my opinion. Um, it was also fun to watch too, visually appealing. Um, the camera work was great. Uh, the the dialogue was also spot on. I thought too. It had funny lines, but also was serious. And it, it was just more in depth than your normal like uh, summer action film. And you know, I think I would give it props for that. So I think that's what I can say for my films. Yeah, no, that's that. Those are two excellent choices, especially Inception. That. I really appreciate the the level of conversation that that generated. It was all, it was fun around the zeitgeist of Inception to you know gather up with friends like what happened at the end at the top stop spin. You know, it, it's that whole yeah. conversation. Oh my God, what do you think I, happened? I can I can spoil that for everyone. Um, so the director oh, really? has the director has come out and said that mm -hmm. the top actually does fall down. It is it, he is in real life. So spoiler, okay. but yeah. The director did Dang. say that it wasn't meant to, it was the ending actually wasn't meant to actually trick people or like to make it so people thought he was still in a dream it was just so great he just thought it was a good way to end the film but at the end of the day the top is supposed to fall he is in real life and also from all the scenes that you've seen if you knew like how dreams worked or how they did the dives um there's no way all those sequences would have happened in a dream anyways so hmm. because it's like the thing is, like in a dream, it, they're always like, within a box or within a certain level or like a playing field. I don't know if that if that was known as well, but you're always within like the same type of framework. Like there was that one bottom level dream that where you could create your own world and all that stuff, but that wasn't that was still within a box. And so, like, you there's no way you could go from an airport to a car, driving down the street, and also go to like their house and all that stuff. Like I felt like there was too many layers to that to even be a real uh, dream or anything like that. So, I mean, that, that was just my take on it um, before the director came out, but yeah. And the conversation continues. Yeah, it does. 
<laughs> no, that's the like I say, that's an excellent choice. Um, well, I I guess I'll go next. Uh, I had a I had a couple of so in terms of like my I don't even like. When it came to mainstream movie versus art movie, like, I guess, so what I went with when it came to my big movie was uh, either Scott Pilgrim versus the world or The Big Lebowski. They both hold very special places in my heart. Um, I could go on for a long time about both, but uh, I'm going to go with Scott Pilgrim because I think that's more relevant to today's conversation. Uh, well, today's as in the general today. Uh, Scott Pilgrim, to me, was such a interesting movie because it. I feel like like no other movie has done a comic book movie this well. All of the current you get your DC cinematic universes and your Marvel cinematic universes. They, yes, they're telling the stories of the characters that they're portraying, but they don't feel much like their source material, like. Scott Pilgrim really perfectly encapsulated what it, to me anyway, what it feels like to be a comic book movie. Like, it, it's got a lot of the tropes, and it's got a lot of the... It, it brings enough over from the source material that, that really makes it feel like a comic book. Even even the way it's shot, and, and the, the imagery that uh, the director... Oh God, what's his name? Edgar Edgar Wright? Yeah, that guy. Yeah, Edgar. Like, the way that each of the seven evil exes, there's there's numbers associated with all the... Like, everything is so smart and so well done, and they compress that whole story that's a six-part graphic novel down into one movie. Uh, it, it's, it's just such a fantastic movie, and I, I think it's... It's a really good story as a coming-of-age story for, you know, Scott Pilgrim, the the titular character here, is not a good person. And you go through the whole movie, of course, supporting him and, and, and cheering for him, but the more you watch and the more you understand the things he's doing, like, I, it's easy to identify with that because the, like, you... He's a he's a a younger guy dating a person, and there's that whole dynamic of like, well, I like this other person, but I like this one, other girl, but I don't want to break up because I'm awkward and that's weird. I think that's just a level of of like that nerd culture that I think people understand. Like, at least I do. I mean, I identify with that. I'm very awkward <laughs> in so many significant ways, and to to watch a movie where the main character is basically me. Now I, I like to think I'm not as big of a dirt ball as Scott Pilgrim is, but <laughs> um, a lot of his like weaknesses and shortcomings I identify with. And, and to tell that story and really get what makes it a comic book movie, like right down to the adding panels into, you know, the meanwhile, sort you know, those little like panels right into the story and, and, Using using graphics and effects that that aren't meant to look like real life, you know, big pink lightning bolts and you know stuff that's th this is not what real life is, 
but it's a comic book movie and, and it just makes a lot of sense. I, I, I thought Scott Pilgrim really nailed that. And it's, it's a great story. Um, if, if you've never seen it, of course, I mean, obviously I, this is the disclaimer, all of the movies we're talking about, if you've not seen it, go watch it. It's real good. That's why we're talking about it. But that that's one of my all time favorite movies that I, I come back to over and over and over. Um, the other movie I wanted to talk about, uh, it's hard to call this a, I guess this could be my art movie <laughs> if we're going to lump it into the categories. Uh, I'm gonna I'm I'm going with Spirited Away because Spirited Away and Studio Ghibli really kind of changed the way that I looked at uh, animated features. Um, when it came to big budget animated features, I, I felt like so much throughout the years they've been Disney. You know, with, with with exceptions like like Disney, uh, Pixar. You know, they always did really good stories, but di for the most part, your big budget animated features were, were they're for for kids, but didn't really take that storytelling to the next level. More often than not, I mean, it was all really basic. It's all very, you know, cut and paste for the most part. Princess gets trapped. Prince saves her. Princess is elated to have the love of her life find her. You know, it's it's that. We've seen that a hundred times. When Miyazaki's films started coming across to the West, um, it really felt like... I don't want to say there was a shift. I don't want to make it sound like this was this flashpoint where animated features changed forever. But you can definitely tell that a lot of people took notice. And even people who are not anime fans traditionally... Like, these are movies that I sat down and watched with my mom. And my mom is not an anime fan. You know, she does not watch JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. She does not watch Dragon Ball. But I can sit down with my mom and watch a Miyazaki film. That just speaks to the level of, of how these movies can talk to people. And Spirited Away is just such a fantastic movie of a little girl who is put in this really odd, bizarre situation. And all she's trying to do is save her parents and get out. That's really all she's trying to do. But... In the process of doing that, she grows up, and it's 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 a it's a really charming movie, and I, I I can't recommend it enough. And I really feel like since Miyazaki's films have gained notoriety and gotten bigger in the West, that you've seen other films try to emulate that in some way by telling a kid's story, but in a more adult way, in, in a way that's impactful for not just kids but also adults. Um, yeah, that spirit spirited away is, is a, is a real tent pole for me when it comes to animated features. Mm. You know, that, uh, Miyazaki's influence on a lot of his films are just basically just taking actual fairy tales that like Disney films are based on like spirited away is Alice in Wonderland, like straight up and Ponyo is the little mermaid. Mm hmm. And uh, other ones just keep going. There's there's tones of all sorts of things and like Princess Mononoke, like Sleeping Beauty and things like that. But like the actual fairy tale, not the Disney version. But I mean, they're not wholly original stories, but they're presented no. in a pretty good way. And they're very well animated. And that's exactly what I think I appreciate them is, yes, the, the, these are not, you know, Hayao Miyazaki did not come and, and create all of these himself. You know, these are, like you say, were, uh, takes on other works. It's just the way that they're told doesn't feel like 
the lowest common denominator. Like, let's make a kids movie. It's let's make it. Let, let's make a good animated film. And I feel like his movies really moved that forward in a significant way. <clears throat> uh, Matt, we still we still need to hear from you, buddy. Uh, <clears throat> I pick Frank's movies. All right. Good job, guys. We've done it. <laughs> but no, on a serious note. So my uh, mainstream movie is one of my, my personal favorites, obviously. It's Terminator 2, Judgment Day, directed by James Cameron and starring Arnold Schwarzenegger, governor, former governor of California. So this movie, personal, well, like I said, one of my personal favorites. And I like the fact that it has robots in it and time travel and a diverse cast of characters. Matt. But, but, but on, on a serious note, no, this, I think Terminator 2, this and Aliens, on a more pop culture level, like really set the bar for how sequels should be made and that sequels can indeed be better than the original because I, I I think Terminator 2 is better than Terminator. Nothing against Terminator. I think Terminator is an awesome is a good movie and an important film for what for what it was made on and how James Cameron made it. But Terminator 2 just took everything good about Terminator and then up the scale, up the story, up the characters. Like I really got emotionally invested in the story this time. Not to say that I didn't get invested in Terminator, but Terminator felt more like a sci-fi horror movie, and this this was a legit action movie with great characters, great acting, great set pieces. And what I what I really like about this movie is from the original, like in the original, Sarah Connor is like a helpless, hapless waitress. And in this movie, her role is completely reversed. Like, she's a badass who's in prison for trying to blow up a computer company, essentially. the Throughout the first third of the movie, we're, le- we're not sure who the good guy is, if it's Robert Patrick's Terminator character or if it's Arnold Schwarzenegger's Terminator, because, you know, Terminator 1, Arnold was kind of a terrifying machine who just gunned everybody down. But then that's flipped where he's like the protector father figure. And in the first movie where we are introduced to John Connor as the savior of humanity, who is going to lead us to the fight to save us from the machines. And in this movie, he's just a bratty kid who, you know, causes trouble. And I like I like the role reversals from the previous movie that we get in this movie. And it's just it's just such a well done movie. On all all levels, like I said, the story is really good for like a essentially blockbuster film. It's a, it's got a really good story, and I think a lot of movies today could take cues from what Terminator Two did as far as like implementing story into a smart action movie, and like it pretty much like set the scale for like visual effects today. Like the the scene with the T one thousand with the liquid metal. Like was mind blowing back in 1991. So I, and right at the end, man, the Terminator just died, like sacrificed himself. Spoiler alert! So that way he could save humanity. Just here every time, right in the feels every time, gets me choked up. 
So yeah, I love Terminator Two. I think it's a, it's a fantastic movie, and I don't want to say it's necessarily underrated, but I don't know if it's necessarily appreciated as much as it should be. Yeah, I agree with that. Yeah, that's that's well put in all ways. I completely agree. And then for my artsy movie, I picked Chronicle, which is I'm not as familiar. I think didn't, when did this come out? It came out in 2011. 2012 sounds right something around there yeah yeah but it is um directed by josh trank of 2015's fantastic four fame (laughs) i don't know that that's how you want to start this one (laughs) but no it's a directed by josh trank it's a found footage movie and it's about a bunch of kids who find some mysterious object in the woods and they all get superpowers. They get uh, telekinetic superpowers. And the whole movie is these three kids. Two of them are cousins. And then the other one is a popular football player that hangs out with them. And then they start bonding over the fact that they have these powers. And they grow in these powers. And the one kid is kind of socially awkward. He's bullied at school. And then he's given all these powers. And he starts to abuse these powers he's got a messed up home life his dad's abusive his mom's dying is on medication all the time so it's kind of like a perfect catalyst for him to go crazy and like like i said it's a a found footage movie like the movies always that the socially awkward kid is always recording them training and powering up and as, as the movie goes through you know at the end kid goes crazy he kills one of his friends and then his cousin has to spoiler alert kill him but i just i like the take on the superhero genre where it was kind of i know it's cliche to say it was like a realistic take on superpowers but i mean it's a bunch of like angsty teens who essentially have the power to fly and crush cars with their mind and like one of them just goes absolutely crazy which you know if you're given that much power at an age where you're just kind of like figuring out who you are like you're gonna do some messed up stuff so i really appreciated that aspect of the movie and it kind of set off uh i think that's the reason why josh trank got the fantastic four gig which you know kind of squandered that which is a bummer but yeah it was just an overall really good movie and i feel like that's another movie that's kind of just gotten lost in the shuffle of like oversaturated superhero market but it's still one of my uh personal superhero favorites yeah that was a good one yeah, no, I, I, I loved that movie. I, I feel like a part of why it didn't take off like it could have is because it didn't have the license behind it and the name recognition. But I, I think that's a much more interesting superhero movie than a lot of what's come out recently. Yeah, and it just like it didn't have like all it didn't have like world building that needed to be done like the MCU movies need now. It was just like, hey, these kids have superpowers and they can they can do a bunch of stuff and they're trying to grapple with the fact that they have powers while like, you know, going to school and like, you know, the one kid like uses his powers to like rob people and kill people who have bullied him, which in a situation like that, it's like completely understandable why he would do something like that. Yeah. The, the finale was, um, heavily influenced by, um, uh, Akira, the anime and the manga. It's, it's like, there's scenes from it that are pretty much just taken straight from it, which I thought was kind of cool. 
Yeah, I'm glad you said that because I was thinking the same thing. Like that's there, there was a very clear reference there, which which I think is great. I did not know that, but it is good to know these things for future trivia nights at the bar. <laughs> well, there, those are what two, four, six, eight really good movies. Uh, again, disclaimer: if you've not seen any of these movies, we all highly recommend them. Of course, that's why we spent the last uh, what thirty minutes, forty-five minutes talking about them. No, um, I mean we are not sponsored by them, though. So let's just make that clear, guys. <laughs> yeah, let's let's make sure we write that disclaimer in the sub notes here of our of our podcast. We are not sponsored by any of these movies that came out years ago. Definitely not Citizen Kane. Maybe that one. This, Maybe that. This one. movie was paid for by a foundation sponsored <laughs> by Citizen Kane. Yeah, right. <laughs> this podcast is presented by Loot Crate. I'll take. I'll I'll take some Citizen Kane money if that's if that's if that's if they're willing to pay us for this. I mean, the real sponsor is actually Ben Hur. I don't know if you ever heard of that great film. But <laughs> oh yeah, that, the, yeah. That, no. that's the sponsor of the, the new one or the old one. The old one, of Talking course. The new one. The, oh, now let, the old now one, let me tell you about my favorite movie, upcoming Thor Ragnarok, coming to theaters <laughs> this November. No, I'm just kidding. Um, no, those are really great movies, and and I would stand by every single one of those. Um, of course, I didn't see Citizen Kane, but I understand its importance. Um, so one other, <laughs> one other little thing we wanted to go over today. I know uh, our fan bases, which can definitely be a divisive uh, a divisive topic. Um, some of us feel very strongly about fan bases. Some of us feel strongly in different ways about fan bases. Uh, I know Matt, you've got, you've got some thoughts here when it comes to fan bases. There's a lot of toxicity that you, that you tend to see come out of this. Um, just to add to that uh, last podcast, Joe and I had talked about this, which is why we're having, uh, uh, we only feel it's fair for Matt and Brent to have a say in this too. Yeah, I mean, yep. what are your thoughts when it comes to fan bases, man? I don't have an opinion. Oh, okay, cool. No. Um, <laughs> no, so, I, well, that does yeah, impress, be, boys. I don't know. Like, I, I don't like that the fans that I'm most likely to hear about or to interact with, I mean, it's the internet, so it's only wholesome people on there, Well, are, are the ones who are the least wholesome and the most toxic it's just it's just frustrating that a lot of the good fans in a lot of the fandoms that i i don't really like consider myself a part of like any sort of fandom but like rick and morty fans are like are awful like hardcore rick and morty fans are like despicable human beings like like frank sent me that article and like i didn't know that like when they they added a female writer for season three that people like verbally harassed like one of the female writers about like how this is like their show and like women shouldn't be allowed to write that. Like that's disgusting. Like it's you're, you're a horrible person if you do stuff like that. And I, I get the emotional attachment people have to like intellectual properties. Cause like I have them myself, like I have, I have an emotional attachment to star Wars, but I don't, I don't own star Wars. Like star Wars doesn't belong to me. Like the feelings the feelings that Star Wars has given to me throughout the years, like those are mine and how I feel about Star Wars and the memories, those are mine. But I don't own Star Wars. Those characters don't belong to me. And as much as I don't like some changes that have happened to Star Wars throughout the years, like they 
creators have every right to do whatever they want with their creations. They're not they're not beholden to their fans in any way. And yeah. it's the same it's the same thing like another fandom that I I dislike vehemently is Game of Thrones fans. Not not the not the show fans, because like I, I have other things to say about them, but like people who read <laughs> oh, the Jesus. books. People who read the books are like they're usually not very good people. Like anytime like George Martin <laughs> says anything on Facebook or Twitter, it's just like the first like hundred comments are like like get off your fat ass and like write more so I can get these books like like George doesn't owe you these books. Like it's a service that he doesn't have to provide to you. Like he could just be like, I'm not writing these last two books and you guys can deal with it. Like you don't he doesn't owe you anything. And to like belittle the man and to like get on his case for like, you know, enjoying himself because I don't know if they're aware, like I've never written a like thousand page book, but I'm sure it's just like get it done in a weekend. Like it's not <laughs> easy to do what he does. No. So yeah, I mean, didn't, didn't, didn't it take him years to write a lot of his books? Like, or am oh, I yeah. just making that okay? No, he's a, he's a he slow writer in 90s? general. Yeah. 90, 96 is when Game of Thrones came out, and it was okay. originally yeah. envisioned as a trilogy, and then here we are today. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, many years later. But that yeah, that's, just, I, that's my opening statement on it, and I'm sh I'll add more as we go no, on. No, and that's, that's totally fine. Like, so when it comes to... When it comes to fandoms, at least from my perspective, I'm, I might take a slightly different approach than a lot of you guys. I don't dislike them. Now, here's the thing. A fan of anything or a, or human beings in general, and this is just the, the, the power that the internet brought up, is the vocal minority is always going to be the loudest. We see, of course the 100 comments to George Railroad Martin that say, get off your fat ass and start writing these books, you piece of, you know, whatever. You owe us this. Is Railroad been... Martin, like, a? is that a real thing? No, that's 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 my canon name for okay. him. Okay, oh, I just wanted to make so, sure. Yeah, that's canon, so make sure you guys say that. Uh, <laughs> yeah, trademark Brent Johnson. Um, I think, you know, let people... I'm somebody who can get really attached to something. So, yeah, I see some nods in agreement. Um, so very recently, here, here's a good example. Very Destiny recently, too. well, I mean, Destiny's its own thing. Uh, I started watching JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. And there is a fan base around JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. What, that, I, I'm not familiar with JoJo's Bizarre Adventure. JoJo's Bizarre Adventure, it is an well, so originally it was a manga that started back in the late 80s, so it's kind of got that Fist of the North Star, like, ludicrously ripped dude, punching things to death look, like, real old school anime look, and that manga is still going to this day, but recently they've done a new anime by David Productions that has brought a lot of this in, in, in a you know, stuff that you can watch on Crunchyroll, stuff that you can yep. watch on uh, all of those, you know, platform services. Yep. Now, I, I binge watched probably 110, 120 episodes in two and a half weeks, maybe. Nice, nice. Like, I'm, I murdered that show, and it's probably not healthy, but I just couldn't stop watching it. It's super good. And now that I'm done... Wait, that's it? 
There's a hole in your there's a hole in your life now oh, that there's you've a, not watched this. There's a lot more anime to be made. Like they've not caught up to the manga by any stretch. Um which is good. But I'm done with what is is out in anime form. And so of course my natural inclination is to go out and like get into that like okay when's season when's volume five coming out you know what happens next so i'm i'm watching youtube videos and i'm i'm reading stuff online and and jojo's fans are like all other fans uh not as much i i i I don't get reddit i've I've, tried i've found that the best fans (laughs) of any medium are on reddit and they will let you know how big of fans they are and that just furthers my point. Like, there's probably about 150 people in every subreddit that's the biggest fan of something, and they're the loudest, most obnoxious, most toxic person. When it, like, fandoms, I guess where I'm trying to drive with this whole JoJo's thing is I've I've met people who are JoJo's fans that are huge JoJo's fans that are super nice and and accepting and want to get you into it. Then when you start going online, you run into people. Oh well, you just watched it. Okay, I've been watching it since like 2009. I read the mangas. I'm like four parts ahead of you. Just wait until you get to see this next part. Like that is that exists in every fandom. Yep. Like and, and not even in nerd culture. We're th- this look, look at sports fans in, in a oh, much yeah. broader sense. Like I I come from a I I live in a football city. Like a hard if there was not football in this city, the city doesn't exist. And if how do you feel about that? <laughs> well, I, I mean, I'm a fan of the team, so it works out pretty good. But I, I mean, I, I don't know how anyone exists in this city without being a fan of this team. Like it is everywhere. Grocery stores are themed after this this team. It's it's insane. What um, team is that, Brent? It's is the Green it Bay Dallas Packers. Cowboys? Guess where I live. <laughs> Wait, um, you don't live in Dallas? No, I don't live in Dallas. Houston. Why don't you live in Dallas? <laughs> well, I don't know. I, I isn't that your favorite should team? I move. Yeah. Uh, anyway, <laughs> like even as, even as a Packer fan, since I've recently moved here, and there are people. Oh well, you're from Detroit. You can't be a Packer fan. How long have you been a Packer fan for? When did you really start watching? Like, it, everyone is always quick to be judgmental and and. And and bring forth that toxicity when it comes to these online communities. And, and I find when you meet people who share these interests, that doesn't exist nearly as much. It, it's it's always like I say, it's it's the it's the lowest common denominator. It's the vocal minority. And I think that's what really gives fandoms a bad rap. I, I don't think they're necessarily a bad thing. I think it's just you see the worst of it because that's the stuff people are talking about. The people that are just there to enjoy their thing and read what other people think aren't loud. They don't talk about it. They're just there to absorb it. See, Brent, one thing we talked about last week is, is that we I don't have, and I think we all agree, we don't hate fandoms or think they're unnecessary. Or it's going to happen no matter what it is. Well, the yeah. problem is we're getting a lot of these fandoms coming out for things that are ultimately inconsequential, like Steven Universe or Undertale or um, I had one, uh, Rick and Morty, where they are like sending death, death threats or trying to harm other people based on their views of it. Undertale had a big problem for a while where some streamers would try to get into it, and if they didn't play the game that the way that the fans wanted it to be, they would have various terrible things mailed to them. Somebody had, like, cupcakes mailed to them with razor blades in them. 
Um, that's what we're talking about. That's the kind of like it doesn't matter minority or not. That's the kind of like bad thing that should not arise based on a popular pop culture thing. Like fandoms have been bad forever, but I don't think you're going to have Green Bay Packers fans, at least a majority of them, or at least most well-reasoned adults are not going to send, you know, severed cat's heads to, I don't know the name of the coach of the Green Bay Packers or, or something like that. I think it's Bill Belichick. <laughs> yeah, that's <laughs> exactly, wrong exactly right. But my um, point is, we're not Tom just, Brady on that team. Not to not we're not trying to bash fan bases. If people like things, they like them. But it's 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 we're trying to understand where that toxicity comes from because whether it's a minority or not, it shouldn't exist. I I think where I guess I was trying to drive with that is that minority exists in everything. Even sports fans, like I've watched at the end, I used to live in the Detroit area and I went to a Detroit uh, Lions Dallas football game, Dallas Cowboys football game, and I watched people get in fights. Like Lions fans were roaming around looking to pick fights with Cowboys fans because we won. And and it's like, I I, I 100% agree. Like I can't believe that somebody would have the nerve to to to, to swat someone. Or the nerve to, like you said, send cupcakes stuffed with razor blades. Like, like there's a special level of of dysfunction that's going on in that person's life that they think that's okay. I I just I, I see that in everything. In well, everything. That's not even an argument. We're not saying that's not the thing. We're trying to find solutions or at least try to understand where that toxicity comes from, where people think it's okay. And a big part of that is the internet. And it just creates an echo chamber. Oh, absolutely. Because because that gives these people a platform to say these things and feel important. Or in, in, in much more severe instances, actually gain traction and followings based on the things that they think. Which which is just crazy. I, it, I'm, it's the same level that, that draws people to cult leaders. You know what I mean? Like, somebody is saying something, it's like... When you have when you have something like the internet to broadcast your voice, it's the same thing that a cult leader uses. Except with cult leaders, you have to have some sort of real charisma. Whereas online, you can just put whatever garbage and filth you want on there, and there's going to be somebody that's like, I 100% agree. Razor blade cupcakes are a great idea. Let's make this happen. You know, like it, it, it's it's the power of the internet, which can is very obviously used for good and bad. Yeah, it's just more trying to draw attention to it, and that's not okay. I think is the important part. I mean, I just read a really I interesting. Hope... Oh, go sorry, go ahead. I was just gonna say, I, I hope everybody understands that we like we that that that's not okay. Everybody listening, that's not okay. Don't don't do that. Be a de oh. decent human being. That's all it really takes. I read an interesting article that fan base toxicity. And people's general ignorance of how things work, game developers, for example, they don't like to share things with the fans because every single thing they say gets crucified and criticized and turned upside down. And where a lot of people think, oh, you just flip a switch and multiplayer is enabled in your game or you just flip a switch and you add this thing to it. And there's a lot of time and money. I've been – I have a newer job in marketing now. And, like, I thought I had an idea about how some of this stuff works, but even the simplest thing, like, literally changing, like, a sentence in a data sheet in something that's, like, used in a big company is a production. That's a couple of days of work. That's at least three hours of, of, 
of dedicated work um and, and you know between four different people like that's crazy and you know you think about video games you've got all these other things you've got marketers to appease you've got legal stuff you've got um you know the designers themselves this stuff's hard to make but everyone's got it in their head that oh they can just do it in a weekend it's just it's it it's ridiculous and you know where i think a lot of that stems from too a lot of people see internet celebrities i'm talking your markipliers your uh matt bellicize your pewdiepie like the these these scrappy go-getters that are making millions of dollars and they're just sitting in front a lot of people see them and and, and people who are who work jo jobs like that they really they tell stories about how people will come up and like go to their front door and like knock on their door and be like hey i'm a big fan of yours like i i, I think the way that these that like influencers and entertainers on YouTube have portrayed themselves makes it seem like they're just your best friend and you can come up to them and they don't understand the 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 real work and the real like exactly like you say with a big company like making small changes to even change a sentence in a big company thing is a big deal and i mean even in my very very small taste of doing things on YouTube like I made a 10 second thing that said Uber Brent and it flew through space and that took me four and a half hours. <laughs> like I, it's this level of, of people have this connection with, with what they see online, whether it be celebrity or people or thing. And they think that this is just, Oh, well I could go do that. This is just a scrappy thing that nobody cares about. Like this is there, there's real production that goes on behind everything, right down to the big business, like what you do, and that's what I do as a full-time job. Um, big, you know, big business. I don't want to get into that too much, but even down to YouTubers and that level of connection pe people feel like they have with them. Yeah, I mean, the big thing about broadcasters, though, on YouTube, though, is that a lot of them need to make it clear that the behavior that their fans do is not acceptable sometimes because the biggest problem is is that a lot of the chat or the comment sections are like not moderated at all. You see some of the worst, most sickening things you can see on YouTube in the comic section like ever. Like, and the thing is too, it's like it's kind of crazy because sometimes people's actual names are attached to this stuff. So I don't get why people think it's okay to post what they do post on YouTube. Um, but I, I mean, I think. It, it's up to the broadcaster though to actually moderate their communities and actually be like hey that's not cool don't do that and the thing is but then like the problem is like a lot of broadcasters seem to like to backtrack on it. it's like hey don't do that and then don't make a joke about it like in the next fucking video i mean next video so it's just like <laughs> you know I, I i think that's just the biggest problem about youtube like celebrities if you want to call them that oh i mean look, look at everything that's been going on with pewdiepie lately i mean dropping n-words during streams and just the the crazy level of of nonsense that he continues to get himself embroiled he says he slips up he makes a mistake he says the n-word okay weird whoops but whoops then he posts this apology says hey I, I don't condone this stuff this isn't me i don't like this turns around days like less than a week later does the same thing so it, it, I 100% agree. It's like there's a level of these broadcasters 
are are helping cultivate this this a lot of this vitriol that you find on the internet. And I, I, I feel like as they continue to get bigger and people like PewDiePie, I mean, there, there's PewDiePie things I've liked and there's a lot that has made me wince in a significant way. And as long as he continues to do what he does and continue to get bigger and more popular, it, it, it I feel like that empowers people to, to spew and, and to spew this hate and to say, do these things that are just absolutely to a normal person, un, like unthinkable. Well, I mean, a big thing too, though, is like when it comes to some broadcast, like there's actually, I don't know if you know, um, do you know Team 10 at all? Mm, I don't. Okay, so Team 10 is a group that was created by Jake Paul and like a big crew of people. They made like he he's responsible for making a bunch of films. He's actually one of the fastest growing YouTube uh, broadcasters out there or creators. And like mm-hmm. you know, he actually like I don't. He says that they didn't post their address online, but their address is actually on Google. You can look up if you look at Team Ten House, you can actually find their house. And there's always thirteen year old girls is hanging out by their house twenty four seven. It's pretty yeah. crazy. Um, Where are their parents? Uh, the parents actually bring them there. So it's just like, it's just a whole nother level. And the thing is like, they say they didn't release their address. I don't believe them that much, but they have come out and said, Hey, don't come to our house anymore. But yet it still happens because their parents are just keep, or not the parents, but the kids just keep asking, like, bring me to this house, bring me to this house. And it's like on Google maps, you can just like type it in and just do directions. You'll be there. So it's just ridiculous. And like the level of, how things have gone with YouTube because it's like, it's almost like the wild west at times. And it's just like a whole different medium that people just don't know how to react to. Yeah, no, I feel like, I I feel like a lot of YouTubers are encouraging a lot of the, a lot of this thought. Well, they are. And the thing is, is like, they act like they, 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 they just talk from both sides of the mouth. They're like, Oh, you know, I'm against what this is going on. But at the same time, they love it because it gives them views. It gives them like money, uh, revenue, other speaking gigs and then invites to cons like for example jake paul recently he did like a rap video or whatever and then now he got he got to do like um i think it was like teen teen choice awards or something like that so it's just like okay. you know you just get all these different opportunities just for being outlandish and crazy and actually not really caring about the welfare of fans or just people in general but you know you still get away with it so well, and okay, so I'm going to very quickly preface this by saying I don't want to drive it into this subject, but you see this in all facets of life, especially something like politics lately, and I'm not going to go any further than that, but it's all about having wild opinions, saying whatever you want, and, and producing that level of anger because I feel like that's a product that's actually being given to people, whether it be in video games, being angry. like So there's a YouTuber that I, I'm a subscriber of and I really like and it's Jim Sterling uh I think he does some really great uh investigating on a lot of topics but he's also somebody that gets you angry about things now some of these things you should be angry about and I totally agree with it but he's selling you anger about the games industry and it's in an attempt to make it better but better according to him you know like that it's that's what that's what people are trying to sell nowadays because anger is, it elicits the biggest response. 
We just live in outrage culture where everybody gets outraged Absolutely. about anything. Like that's that's essentially what it is. Like I mean, we're kind of getting off topic with the whole like toxicity of fan bases, but that it's just outrage. I think culture. it's. I, I agree. People, I think people it's are capitalizing on outrage culture. Yeah. No, it's it's. Again, it's really hard not to bring it into current events, and I'm not going to. But everything is outrage. It's about what what what's the thing that everybody can it, almost in a weird way unite to be mad at each other about like on both sides of any spectrum. It, it's I'm mad about this side, but I'm mad about the other side and we can be mad at each other, but let's just be honest. We're all just mad. And I feel like, and bringing it right back to nerd culture, the internet is uh, just an incredible platform to amplify that. And I think that's what makes it so much worse is when people get got mad back when I was a child, back before the internet, we would just get mad and then go to bed and then go to school the next day, and we nobody remembers. We would just go on the merry-go-round and go down the slide, and everything's cool again. Now these people, these kids, these adults are taking that anger, putting it online, getting somebody else comments about it. I have a different opinion. And of course that elicits this, like, how can you possibly have a different opinion from me? Because I have, I'm the, I'm the unique snowflake that had this opinion that nobody else. And it just escalates and it, and it continues to roll down the hill. Yeah, for sure. So yeah, I'm really fired up right now. Thanks guys. (laughs) gonna be real yeah. easy to go to bed after this that's that's the whole plan this is called sleeping material by brent <laughs> johnson so the next 15 minutes i'm going to fill your ears with the sweet dulcet tones of brent johnson's voice no okay um for real though uh guys this has been great we haven't done this in a long time yeah for like sure. as a group as a family it's really good to talk to you guys for sure yeah i mean it's, it's getting been a while. fun I'm getting really emotional and misty over here. <laughs> My eyes are getting really wet from tears. <laughs> um, so yeah, uh, thanks everybody for stopped in to listen to the Batteries Fully Charged cast, episode 8. Um, of course, you can catch us all online uh, at BF Charge on Twitter. Uh, we all have various Twitter handles. I'm at AlwaysUberBrents. Frank is at SSFranco. Matt is at Matt Corser. I'm not going to correct you. Nobody needs to be looking at my Twitter. <laughs> All right. Well, yeah. don't look at his Twitter. It's probably <laughs> a nightmare. Don't look uh, at his Twitter. <laughs> and then, Joe, your app, Bring the Soul. Yep. S O L. Yes. It's a reference to the sun. I like it. Thanks for you explaining. Get... <laughs> I'm, I'm glad you yeah, told no. me. I'm glad you told me the meaning of my own nickname, even though that's yeah, not no, the meaning get, of it. Getting really in depth. But thanks. Just getting really in depth with it. Yeah. Oh, thanks for. Um, yeah, definitely follow us on Twitter. See what we're doing. Um, we should be back next week. Hopefully, things are going to be uh, continuing to roll along, where we get in back into a rhythm of doing this. The summer's over. All of our uh, crazy nonsense is done. So, uh, hopefully, we'll be seeing you guys next week. Yeah. Does anybody have any really deep thoughts to send us off on today? Be cool. Stay in school. Boom. Don't do drugs. Get good. Boom. Thanks for listening, everybody.